We're reading together tonight from the New Testament again, back to the Gospels, back to the Gospel of Luke, uh, St. Luke chapter 13. Luke's Gospel chapter 13, and commencing to read at verse 22. Luke chapter 13 and verse 22. Just a brief Bible reading together. And Jesus went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able, when once the master of the house is risen up, and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not when she are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not when she are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. Concluding our Bible reading there at verse 30. It was always a moment of high interest when Jesus passed through a town or a village. Of course, there'd be no one like him in the days before, and after he parted from us, there's never been anyone like him, because he is unique. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. And for sure, there were many people who followed him because they knew that he was a miracle worker, and they wanted to see the miracles that he did. They knew that he was a man who spoke with conviction and authority because it said he didn't speak like the scribes and the Pharisees, but he spoke with authority. His message was a real message, and he spoke from his heart. A man came to me after his service just about a week or so ago that I was doing in the morning in Coleraine like I do each Wednesday morning. And he said, you know the thing about you, Eric, that really strikes me? He says, you say what you mean and you mean what you say. And I said, well, thank you so very much. And he said one or two other very nice things to me. And I said, well, are there any negatives? <laughs> well, he said, not really. Well, I said, I would like you to tell me if there are. But my dear people, if I was not a man of sincerity, then I have no right to be right here in this pulpit at all. You know, the word sincere means without wax. It comes from two Greek words. Sinisere means without wax. And it comes from the picture of the days whenever the emperor would go around uh, the city of Rome in his carriage and all the great statues they have there in Rome. The men would go around before and they would fill all the cracks with wax, you know, if there were any cracks in the statues, so that they would look nice and look their best when the emperor was coming past. 
And from that concept comes the word sinisere, without wax. And I want you to know tonight that I am a man without wax. There's no cracks that need to be filled up to make me look better. Well, maybe if you're thinking about the body, maybe yes. But friends, as far as my message is concerned, my message is a heart message. It's real to me. Jesus is real to me. And if he wasn't, then I wouldn't be here. But I'm here tonight because Jesus is real to me. Yes, Jesus is real to me. I never could doubt him or journey without him, for he is so real to me. And just as he's real to me, he became a reality on his journey through the towns and villages away back in his earthly ministry. Out from the crowd there comes one, and this really arrested me when I first really got a grip on this passage and then began to use it as a Bible text for messages and ministry in evangelistic missions. This man steps out and he says, Lord, are there few that be saved? Are there few that be saved? What a loaded question that is. This man knew who he was speaking to. Not everyone knew who this person was. They knew he was a special man. They knew that he could do things that other men couldn't do. But not everybody recognized him as Lord. But this man obviously had some measure of truth and revelation that he was speaking to someone who was more than just a man. This was the Lord. And you know, dear friends, tonight, we have someone in the midst who is unseen but real. He's not an angel. He's not a supernatural being who somehow appears and disappears or some figment of the imagination. He is the unseen but real Lord Jesus Christ who said, where even two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And whilst I speak about him, I'm very conscious that he knows what I'm saying. He hears what I say. He tells me what to say. And so tonight we're in the presence, not of you in the presence of Eric Stewart, more so you in the presence of Jesus. And it's an amazing thing that even though he is no longer with us on this earth and took his departure and went back to be at God's right hand, he said, I will come and I will be amongst you. And where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And in mission meetings like these, we feel the consciousness of the presence of the Lord Jesus. And there comes a point in a mission whenever people who are coming, who are not converted, move beyond seeing just a man, move beyond seeing just an evangelist, and they begin to feel themselves to be in the presence of the Lord. They feel that there is only two people who are significantly real, and that is themselves and the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know if you fit into that category this evening, that you are in the hands and presence of the Lord. It's not about me. It's not about the lifeboat. And it's not about any denomination. This whole great matter is about Jesus, the Son of God, the middle person of the divine trinity, 
The one who lived and died and lives again and who says, My Spirit remaineth among you. And the Holy Spirit has come in Jesus' place to work in our hearts. As this man addressed the Lord and became conscious that he was in the presence of God, he asked a question, Lord, are there few that be saved? Now that immediately lets me know that this man was aware that there was such a thing as salvation, that there was such a reality as being saved. I think tonight that as I look at you, that there is no one that would not be somehow acquainted with the fact that there is such a thing as salvation, that I need to be saved. I think that probably everyone somewhere along the pathway of life has come to this awareness, I need to be saved. Now, I know that even in privileged Northern Ireland, there are many, many who have no knowledge of this fact. No knowledge that such a thing needs to happen. No knowledge that they need to be saved. Or if they have even heard the word, they think, well, saved from what? Saved from drowning? Saved from fire? saved from a car accident, but no concept of being saved from my sin. And maybe very little concept of their sinfulness before God. Why, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't stolen from the bank or anything else. I haven't uh, wronged my neighbor. I pray, I give to charity. And so I'm, I'm, quite a, I'm quite a good person. I'm not a sinner. My dear people, until we come to the awareness and the conviction, I am lost. I am guilty. I am unclean. I am a spiritual leper in the presence of a holy God. And then we begin to feel how sinful we are. You know, if I had an unclean shirt and held it up in the gloaming of the evening, I would think that shirt's not too bad. But if I take that shirt and I hold it up at the window when the sun's shining in, I can tell whether or not it's clean. When we stand up, my dear people, in the presence of the white light of the eternal Son of God, we feel unclean. We feel our uncleanness. We feel our guiltiness. You know, a lady said in Bangor many years ago, she said, you know, before I used to go to your church, she said, I never felt anything was wrong. And she said, I would have cursed and swore and taken God's name in vain. But now, she says, every time it happens and she wasn't converted at this point, she says, I feel, I feel terrible. What had been happening? God had been speaking into her heart. And the terrors of the law were beginning to take her hold on her that she was truly a transgressor. Unclean. Unclean. That's what the lepers cried. You know, in the conventions in India, there'd be a big crowd of people in the big main tent. But out here at the side, there was another tent. And there were maybe a couple of hundred people in there in that big tent. And they were all people who had leprosy. They weren't allowed to come into the main, car, main park, into the main, into the main crowd. Because they were lepers. My dear people, Jesus 
went to the lepers. Nobody touched lepers. But the Bible says he touched the leper and immediately touched the leper. His leprosy departed from him. (laughs) And I thank God tonight I am a representative of a Savior who is touching moral lepers and their leprosy is departing and they are coming to know Jesus. And they feel, why, I was a leper. Now I'm clean. (laughs) Jesus has made me clean. Would you like to be clean? We love to be clean. Nobody likes to be filthy and smelly. That's why we've got showers and that's why we've got baths, so that we keep ourselves clean. I want to tell you that even though your body may be spotlessly clean, there is an uncleanness within you that needs more than water. It needs the power of the precious blood of Jesus to take away that sinfulness, that uncleanness, that impurity, and to make you clean on the inside. That's salvation. That's salvation. That's even only a small part of the whole story and the whole concept because it deals with the past and the sinfulness of our lives and the things we used to do and the things we stole. And I was a thief. (laughs) I sure was. When I was a boy going home from school, there was a farmer who had an orchard and he had some very nice eating apples. And we used to go in and slip along through the long grass and give the tree a shake and the apples would fall down. And we used to fill the pockets. Well, we got a surprise one day. We didn't get sweet apples. We got cookers. (laughs) They weren't so nice. But oh, my friends, we felt we were on a bonanza stealing apples. It was all right until I was saved. And then God said to me one day, What about the apples you stole? You need to go back. Man, that was a struggle. (laughs) But one day I got the courage and I said to the gentleman, because I was driving the cars on the country road and he came up in his little minivan in those days and he had to slow right down, slow, slow. And the Holy Spirit said, Eric, this is your opportunity. You let this slip, you've missed it because I had gone a mile up the road to his house some time before and took cold feet at the gateway and rode all the way back home again. <laughs> but this time God said, if you don't settle this now, I don't know when you're ever going to settle. Stop the man, I said, Mr. Naming his name. I said, I stole apples from your orchard years ago when I was coming home from school. And I said, I want to make it right now. I want to try and square up for the apples that are stolen. He said, you know, Eric, we always knew there were boys stealing apples, but we could never catch them. (laughs) Well, I said I was one of them, and I want to make it right. That's called restitution, you know. Restitution. He said, forget it. It's all forgiven. And forgotten. Boys, did I go down the road skipping? I felt like 56ers had been taken off my feet and I was so light as air. I'd got the thing sorted out. 
<laughs> I read about a black preacher one time was preaching in a church and he was getting great liberty and there was a man down in the meeting. He says, hallelujah, preacher, preach it now. Come on, you got your wagon full, pull out. You know, that's the way they say it. Over, we preached in a black church some years ago up in Virginia and they get going and they shout you on and they preach and uh, the preacher was preaching and then he, he started to preach about restitution, <laughs> about Men making things right that had been stolen in earlier days, in unconverted days. And the man who was shouting hallelujah got very, very quiet. Got very quiet. <laughs> and going out the door, the preacher said, I noticed he said you got very quiet, he says, when I was preaching about restitution. Oh, preacher, he says, the restitution put the damper on the meeting. <laughs> Maybe tonight I'm striking very close to somebody's heart. Somebody this evening might need to make de-restitution. <laughs> well, if you have to do it, do it. And get in the clear with the Lord. And seek the Lord afresh. And get right with Him. Lord, are there few that be saved? Yes, there is such a thing as being saved. You say, you know, Eric, I know that. I couldn't come to the lifeboat and not learn that. I couldn't have come up through Sunday school and not learned that. I know I need to be saved. My question is, why are you not? Why not? And why are you not? If you know that you need to do right, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, that is sin. You're adding to the sin that's on your life every time you turn Jesus down. You add on to the, the condemnation. You add on to the record every time you reject him. Because you know that that's the good thing to do. That's the right thing to do. But you don't do it. So to him says the Bible that knoweth to do good. And doeth it not. It is sin. And if you never committed any other sin, that would be enough to condemn you. So tonight, you say, yes, Eric, I know. I need to be saved. Well, don't add to your sin. Come tonight to the Savior. We'll give you that invitation like in other nights. And you can make the choice and step out by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit. Then he asked the question, Lord, are there few that be saved? How many get saved? Sometimes we do missions and people say, did many people get saved? Well, the Lord knows that. <laughs> there might be many people profess, but the Lord knows who gets saved. For the Lord knows those that are his, and only he really knows. But tonight I can't look down and say, oh, there's so-and-so and he's saved and she's saved. Well, I could, but if I knew your life and I knew what way you lived, that would be a good indicator of where you stood. But when I don't know people, you, you can't pick them out. They, they don't have a halo around their head. They don't have wings on their shoulders. <laughs> there was a wee woman in church one morning and she was looking up and, and she was at a woman's meeting later that week and, uh, and she said, did any of you people notice what I noticed, she says, on Sunday morning in church? No, they said, what did you notice? He said there was a white light over Mr. Stewart's head. And every time he moved, the light moved. I think the problem was that behind me it was a white wall and I was beginning to play tricks in her eyes. You can't tell God's people because they've got a white light around their head or because they've got wings on their shoulders or they can fly. You'll never get that, but you'll truly, surely get the life and spring of Jesus in your heart and you'll have the light of the gospel within your soul. And whilst there's no light round your head, there will be light in your heart. Amen. 
good. Well, praise the Lord. Bertie seems to have got it anyway. <laughs> Light in my soul, which so long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. Oh, yes. But Jesus never answered his question. Do you know why he didn't answer the question? Because he had a far greater response in waiting for him. He said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. And so tonight the most important thing is not how many or how few get saved. The important thing is that you get saved. If there's nothing else that I say tonight that is of any significance, let me say it again. The important thing is not how many or how few come to the Savior. The most important thing is that you come to the Savior. And tonight is God's wonderful golden opportunity for you to come. And so the Lord Jesus, who reads hearts, looked into his eyes, looked into that person and said, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. That word strive is not as strong as it is in the original. In the Greek language, the word that's used for strive here is the word agonize. Agonize to enter in. Do you ever hear that word agonize? He agonized. He was in an agony. And the word agonized is a very interesting picture. It comes from the arena where two gladiators were matched and dueling against each other in ancient times in Rome. And each man was in there to preserve his life and to win against his opponent. And as they were concentrating on that vital strike, they were said to be agonizing, agoniai. All the concentration of mind and thought and vision focused. That's what the word means. Now, my men and women tonight, if there is ever anything that we need to concentrate our mind, our thoughts, our interest, and our determination on, it is to get in through the gateway of salvation. There is no sort of gliding in, no sort of sliding in, no sort of, ah, oh, it'll hit me in the head when I'm walking down the road someday, it'll get a slap in the side of the head and I'll feel, wow, I got in. No. You've got to put your mind to it. You've got to put your heart to it. Jesus said to this man, Man, focus your thinking. Bring these issues now to the fore. Don't be slipshod. Don't be careless. I put in my notes here, Be in earnest. Be in earnest to take your place as a guilty sinner before God. Would you be really earnest tonight? Would you be sincere tonight without wax? 
no cover-up, no ploy, straight through, open and bare, right as you are. God, you see me with no puttying up. I am guilty. Here's my heart, Lord. Look into it. See me as I am. My thought life, it's unclean. My actions are not right. My past, I wouldn't like it to be printed on the screen behind the, here in the church at night. I wouldn't like anybody to see who I've been and where I've been and what I've done. God sees the whole thing, but he's here tonight to take it all away. And just make your past as white as that screen when it comes down that you'll just be like a brand new person, a new creature in Jesus Christ. All things are passed away and all things become new. And you become a new you. A new you. Do you want to be a new you? (laughs) Be in earnest. Be in earnest. To repent. I now repent. I repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. What is repentance? It's saying goodbye to sin. Oh, Mr. Nicholson, the old evangelist, used to say, goodbye sin. Goodbye world. Goodbye devil. I'm through with you. Welcome Jesus. Billy Sunday was one of the greatest evangelistic preachers of his day. He was a young man. He was playing baseball for the White Sox Chicago baseball team and they were all traveling down uh, the city one evening and they came on an open air meeting. And a man was preaching and the baseball team sat down and young Billy Sunday, the fastest man around the bases at that time, was sitting there. And then somebody began to sing a beautiful song. Where is my wandering boy tonight? The boy of my tenderest care. Billy Sunday's memory sprang into life. That was the song his dear old mother used to sing. And the words came floating back over the years. When Billy Sunday stepped up to his feet, whenever the man said, we're traveling down and we're going down to the rescue mission down the road, if any of you want to come with us, you're you're welcome to follow us. Up jumped Billy Sunday and said, Goodbye, boys. I'm through with you. I'm taking Jesus. And Billy Sunday left the baseball, left the fame that was just uh, inviting him as a young man to a great career on the baseball field and baseball in America. And it's a big thing in America. And you know that, of course, if you know anything about sport in America. And he said, I'm through with you boys. I'm following Jesus. Billy Sunday left. They reckon that he maybe pointed a million souls to Jesus. And he covered a mile of ground every time he preached. He was one of the most dynamic preachers of his day and age. And indeed of many a day and many an age. And there comes a moment whenever true repentance says, Goodbye. I'm going to follow Jesus. And the deeper your repentance and the more your your conviction and commitment, man, the more you'll get out of it. You'll get a kick out. You know, I wouldn't be in it if I didn't get a good kick out of this. I would never play football if I didn't get a real good kick at it. And if I didn't get the ball, I got the man. 
I loved football. I was the captain of the soccer team. My father didn't like me going to play football whenever there was work to be done on the farm, but I usually managed to escape on a Saturday morning for the matches, you know. But then, of course, when I left school, it was work, 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 work. <laughs> and that's how I grew up for the rest till the Lord called me away to be a Bible college student. But friends, if I was in anything, I was in it wholeheartedly. I was enthusiastic. I was competitive. You know, folks, I'm still competitive. <laughs> Yvonne knows that. If I've got something, I like to have the best. I like to have the winning bottle. I'm not out to keep a chicken. I wouldn't keep an old hybrid chicken for anything. My chickens are purebred chickens. When we kept budgies, you don't keep those little small things that sit up on a perch like sparrows. If we had budgies, we wanted to have the best budgies. It just costs the same in seed. To feed a good one is a bad one. <laughs> and my dear people, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm all in it. Strive to enter in. And the pain of getting in is then translated into the joy of being in. Strive to enter in. Let me ask you this evening, are you going to put your heart to it? Young man, will you put your soul to it? Why, why? Man, 60 years next March, since I put my heart to, into this issue and found Jesus and he found me and I've been going for him ever since and I met Yvonne and she was going for him too and we've both been going and we'll soon be 50 years in double harness next year. And I wouldn't turn back and I wouldn't trade it for all the tea in China and I wouldn't change my life if I had my life to live over again. I'd do it all over again because Jesus is the joy of living. He's the king of life to me. Unto him my all I'm giving is forevermore to be. I will do what he commands me. Anywhere he leads I'll go. For Jesus is the joy of living. He's the dearest friend I know. Oh yes. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. It means to put your whole heart to it. On this Tuesday night. Wednesday night is Wednesday night. Our bins went out this morning. It's Wednesday. Yeah. On this Wednesday night, why not step out on the side of the Lord Jesus? You know, you should do that. And why should you? Because time will not always be on your side. We used to sing a great old hymn. Life at best is very brief, like the falling of a sheaf like falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheaf, be in time. Be in time. Fleeting days are telling fast that the die will soon be cast and the fatal line be passed. Be in time. Be in time. Be in time while the voice of God and Jesus calls you. Be in time. 
Oh, I pray you count the cost, lest your soul in hell be lost and the fiddle line be crossed. Be in time. Be in time. Many a man who meant to get saved at the midnight hour died at 11.59. Just a minute too soon to die. Just a minute too late to be saved. I know that's kind of like an illustration, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Time is not on our side. There is but a step between us and death. We are only ever a heartbeat from eternity. As the little boy asked the preacher, Sir, how far is it to eternity? He says, Son, put your hand there. What do you feel? He says, Sir, I feel a beating heart. He says, Son, that's how far it is to eternity. It's just a heartbeat. Just a heartbeat. Time will not always be on your side. And then there's another very important thing. The Holy Spirit will not always be calling you. He will not always be pleading with you. He will not always be working on you. Tonight, maybe you need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you need to return from your wanderings and your loosed your moorings and your drifting tonight. And the Lord is saying, and the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, John, you need to come back. Mary, you need to come back. You need to get back to the cross, like Catherine was singing the other night, back to the cross, under the blood. Oh, yes, come, don't delay. My man, you're older, don't delay. Don't delay, don't delay. One week in the DCF down in Newcastle, we had a lovely old lady. She was in her early 90s. And she came for the holiday with all the people who had come to the DCF home there in Newcastle for her holiday. Why, the wonderful blessing of that week was that that dear lovely lady came to the Lord Jesus, 91 or 2 years of age or something, wasn't she? Something like that. Yvonne usually tells me my stories are a wee bit off the mark, and then I have to say, well, better sort that out tomorrow night. (laughs) But that's about it anyway. My imagine, but not too old to be saved. Hallelujah. You could be too late, never too young, not too old, but tragically too late. Whilst the Spirit bids you come, sinner do not longer roam. I see Wesley sitting down here, not our Wesley, another Wesley. He said, you know, do you remember the night you preached in Battle Hill Methodist Church back in 1969? remember what you preached on that night? No, I said, how would I remember that? <laughs> he preached on my spirit shall not always, is that right, Was My spirit shall not always strive with man. And God used that one key verse, Genesis 6, 3. My spirit shall not always strive with man. And that night, he and his brother came to the cross. Why? Because they felt If we don't come now, we'll not come. And there was another young man came that same night. And he came that Friday night because the Spirit of God had been working even more strongly on him in the middle of the week. And he could feel as if the feelings of the Spirit 
were beginning to subside. He thought, if I don't get in tonight, I'll miss it. I'll miss it. And that's over 50 years ago. What will it be? 53 years or so come next spring? Oh, my dear people, it wears well, this salvation. And the Holy Spirit, when He comes in, He'll come to help you. He'll come to strengthen you. He'll come to be with you. He'll help you to be the man you say, Eric, I could never be that man. I couldn't give up the cigarettes. I couldn't give up swearing. I couldn't give up the, the booze, the drink, or the gambling, or whatever. I, I, I'm just set. That's me. Well, if it's you, and you stay that way, and you die that way, you'll be lost that way, eternally lost. But I've seen men with all those addictions and all those pasts and all those things binding them. And Jesus has broken them. Amen. Because he makes all things new. And the door of opportunity will not always be open. Oh, my dear people. Again, Catherine was singing the other night. Come into the ark. Come into the ark. And we know the picture. Noah stood. He was a preacher of righteousness. And he said to the people, come into the ark. There's coming a flood. You need to come. You need to trust God, my God, of whom I'm speaking. But they, they thought he was a joker. They thought he was a fool. And they told him, not us. No. And he said, the door. Big door on the side of the ark. It's open. One door. One great door. Come in while the door is open. But then tells us there came a day when God shut the door. It wasn't Noah that shut the door. But Noah went in and all his family. Is all your family in the ark? Have you got family, household, salvation? Or is mom and dad in the ark? Or son or daughter in the ark? And you're not in? You're not in? I think the Lord is speaking to somebody. I think he's talking to somebody. I think he's drawing you. I've been putting your responsibility to you tonight because that's what Jesus did with this man. He said, strive to enter in. That's human responsibility. But there's other times when he called them to come and he draws people to come. But he says, respond to my drawings. Yield to my entreaties. Come to my invitations because I've given you the high dignity of making choice. And you know something? That's your dignity to choose. But it's also your greatest danger because you can choose to miss, to turn aside, to reject salvation, to disobey the Spirit's call. And then there comes the time when the dove of heaven will take us flight and leave your sad soul in the blast and by willful resistance 
you've drifted away over the deadline at last. Oh, come while the Savior in mercy is pleading and steer for the harbor light. For how do you know but your soul may be drifting over the deadline tonight? And you say, you know, Eric, it's not my intention to die in my sin. If your intention is not to die in your sin, then the best action that you can take is to prepare to die in Christ and to take that step this night and put your hand into the nail-pierced hand of Jesus. Look to the cross of Calvary and see how he suffered for you there. And kneel at the cross. That's the straight gate. That's the doorway. That's the only entrance. And walk right in. And walk right through. And dear friends, you will never regret it. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he's welcoming you. It is no secret what God can do. Oh, my dear friends, there we are, right on nine o'clock. You know something? If I knew who you were that I'm speaking to tonight, and if I could carry you to Jesus, I would come down and pick you up and carry you to Jesus. But I don't know who I'm speaking to. And maybe I couldn't carry you anyhow. And for sure I couldn't carry you spiritually. Nor physically. To Jesus. But you must come. And you can come. Because he said. I will help you. Ask the Savior to help you. Comfort. Strengthen. And keep you. He is willing to aid you. Yes, he will carry you through. Oh, isn't that a good, isn't that a good deal, my dear man? It's the best deal of the ages. Will you trust him? Will you come? Even as we sing our closing hymn, 